0: Blood Talk Radio.
1: If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says,
0: don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad. They're yep.
1: Absolutely believed his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist.
0: Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in
1: Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is
0: a culture in Scientology that
1: children are not children so yeah alright welcome to another come get some extra Scientology edition this is part 2 with Glenda Smith you heard her uh, twice last week wonderful lady you get to hear the rest of her story here today um, a lot to cover there uh, as you all might know, this will be my last. Come get some extra for a while and take a little break. I don't know if it'll be like two weeks, four weeks, somewhere in that range. And I'll be back with a really a great bucket list interview if things go as planned. So uh, look forward uh, to that. Uh, a uh, very important guest I could be getting here. Um, so stay tuned also after the show. Uh, I'm going to take us out with something a little bit different. It's It's not going to – the show will not be taken out by the theme song. Uh, But that theme that I I do at the end, it'll be uh, something special that I want to do for you guys. Um, And uh, we'll get to that, so stay tuned after the interviews. Also, I realize there may be some people listening, some people who don't have social media, people who aren't aware of it, um, people also who are never-ends that want to do more. Uh, You always want to know… Uh, What we can do? What what can we do to help? And sometimes people won't feel comfortable going on the government website and filling out the form to challenge tax exemption uh, of Scientology. Of course, tax exemption being uh, very key in the whole recognition of religion thing, and it makes it very difficult difficult for government to enforce law (laughs) uh, and stop these abuses on the the cult of Scientology. And uh, you can help in a very simple, easy way if you're on a computer right now and you're listening to this, on the blog talk radio link for this podcast I have put a link to the change.org petition put out by Jeffrey Augustine. Uh, All you have to do is copy the entire link, uh, highlight it, copy it, and paste it in the address line of your browser It'll take you straight to the sign this petition uh, uh, website. Now, uh, this petition is to the IRS Commissioner John Koskinen uh, demanding that the IRS Commissioner begin an investigation into the Scientology tax exam status. As we all know, as is fairly clear uh, just by, by watching and seeing with our eyes, uh, there are a lot of abuses of the tax exam status, plus uh, it's an excuse and it's something that they've been hiding behind uh, to, to traffic people, to, to harm children, to harm people in general. And uh, and you can help put a stop to that. You can actually, uh, when you go to the website, all you have to do is click on sign this petition. And when you sign it, it will need your email address and name. But you don't need your name to be publicly available. People don't have to know you signed this so you can do it discreetly. Once you've signed a petition, which is like three boxes to fill in, name and email address, you click submit to go to your email There's a link in there that came to you from Change.org. You just click it. It confirms you signed the petition. You have now signed it and actively been a big part of helping to try to take down uh, this destructive cult. All right, so without further ado, uh, remember, stay tuned after the show uh, for something special here. Again, my last show for a little bit. And uh, let's hear the rest of part two with Glenda Smith. So something that I always try to understand with c c h r is that they're supposedly trying to offer alternatives offer support uh against the abuses in psychiatry and um the thing is that if you have a psychi- uh if you have a history of taking psych- uh psychological drugs, if i'm not mistaken, you can't be a Scientologist is that right mhm correct so this kind of this is kind of a conflict for me. Um,
0: yeah. To be honest with you, it was one of my um, in the back of my head through all of that clanking uh, installed concept stuff. It was actually something I struggled with quietly. Um, so there's a thing in Scientology, very basically, that if you've had psychic like treatment. And um, I won't get into the, like the, the pure definitions of that, but um, if you've had psych treatment, you cannot have um, Scientology, auditing, or counselling, and you have to get permission through training and rooms it's, it's a huge, long road. If you've had, it, it can just be psychiatric counselling. It doesn't just—it's not just medicine. It can actually be that you saw a psychiatrist in his office for um, therapy, talk therapy. Right. So there's there's this kind of um, you know, I haven't seen that these people are damaged, they have um, They're not evil, right? Not able. No, but they're under the control. Right.
1: psychiatry. Right. It's
0: just like so convoluted. So C C H R what 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 the real purpose of CCHR is to penetrate into society, remove or eradicate is the word we use, eradicate psychiatrists and psychology, and this would clear the pathway, because they were the enemy, this would clear the pathway for Scientology methods to be introduced into society. society. Uh, When I say society, into education, into justice, into mental health systems, you know, society is not just you know, and I mean, this is kind of crazy, but that's what the aim was. So you go out and you try and find the abuses um, of psychiatrists and psychologists. You actually go and interview people who've been mental health patients. And um, to be fair, because, you know, there, there are abuses in that, those mental health systems. They're, sure. they're there absolutely has been, um, but it, it, it's looking back, I remember a couple of interviews I did with mental health patients, and I remember feeling um, kind of predatory um, and having to really shut that down very quickly in my own head. Um, you know, some of these people aren't well, and but, you know, like in a lot of industries, oh there are abuses yeah. um, and particularly around vulnerable people um, you know mental health patients mental health patients can be a particularly vulnerable group of people so we would go and interview these mental health patients and clients and get their stories and then we'd make them into affidavits and um, you know try and take that to law enforcement or like the police or find a lawyer to take their case or whatever and, you know, the whole process that you go through. But what were we offering those, those mental health patients? Nothing. We were using them.
1: For stat. For stat.
0: Yeah. And to fulfill the agenda that, that CCHI was meant to do, which is to eradicate psychiatry and psychology so that Scientology could move on. We weren't offering them with this one. We were just using them.
1: And that was to build the and, case that all these people have these complaints against psychiatry that they can use for, for however they need to use it to demonstrate what's happening.
0: Yeah, how equal you know,
1: the mental health is worth.
0: Um, I, I think it took me, once I left, I really started to look at this. That one that really smacked up on me because it's a, it's a highly emotional area. And if we look in history, you know, mental health problems it's a highly emotional area for people families there's stigmas there's, you know it's, it's a a highly a difficult area what you do with a person who's not acting within what premise normal who's talking to you know flies on the wall or whatever it's a difficult area for humans and I felt pretty gutted with myself that we had used honest people to afford the aims of this Crazy agenda of our efforts. Um And it took me time to work out yes, there are abuses in the mental health system. I'm not going to, you know, there are. But to find those sort of balanced views and also to take into account what advocacy and, you know, there are massive moves to um, protect mental uh, health patients rights and so forth, huge movements in the last four years, massive legislation shifts and so forth. Right. Um, you know, it, it, everything keeps evolving except Scientology. You know, there, there is so much evolutionary stuff going on in mental health systems and justice systems and all sorts of places except Scientology, which is stuck in Cold War, a one-hub mentality.
1: I find it interesting that the things that Scientology, the things that over on Hubbard wanted to attack, that he considered the enemy to a, a sane world, a sane world without criminality or any of this stuff, uh, was to destroy everything that was against what he was saying. Because yeah. you went to CCHR because you cared about people. You wanted to help people who weren't getting the proper help through psychiatry. But yeah. as you stated, in the end, they were left with nothing. Nothing but their, their psychiatric issues.
0: Yeah. And there's so much irony in what, you know, Hubbard would sort of. One of the things I had to really face once I left, you know, Hubbard. Uh, and I didn't take any drugs for 20 years. I took no drugs. But I can tell you exactly, uh, you know, like drugs are bad and they've messed with you, what we used to call the case. Um, you know, so I, in 20 years, had. General anaesthetic to have my wisdom teeth removed the because they were seriously impacted, and um, that's it. In twenty years, that's it. That's the only drug I had.
1: So headaches, you just dealt with? Yeah. I know. I know a lot of people who said that that they've they've never taken a pill for a headache. I have now. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> right.
0: Um, but no, in twenty years, that's it. Um, I don't even think I took antibiotics, although maybe my, my medical note you know, I did have a medical doctor, but they just—I just, I, I, I just, you know, I, I mean, it was just like drugs are bad for my case, my, I'm not going to do them. And um, then I find out when I left, some eyewitnesses, not people making stuff up, eyewitnesses that L. Warren Hubbard, you know, uh, we kind of
1: used a few drugs, right? I've heard. Um, yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I had that on very good authority, somebody who you know I, I really, really trust. I like to feel more, but you know, private conversation. Right. But, right. Um. You know, I was pretty angry. I was pretty angry about that. You know, I suffered through numerous headaches over the years, and it just never ever took any drugs. And you, you know, he just, hello, um. Yeah. Wow.
1: I'm actually So, th- when you were in CCHR, uh, was there ever a case as maybe something that also would get involved in where someone would come in, they had a bad experience, and and also would want to use them for something? Would they give them a contract to protect them? Because I'm hearing a story about somebody who was giving a protective uh, contract that they would be protected from being uh, put under a psychiatry against their will. And, uh, and they signed that contract, and now they uh, they speak out basically on behalf of OSA uh, on social media.
0: Wow. Um, no, that's something I was familiar with. Um, we were always very aware that mental health patients were um, unable to participate in um, Scientology Services because and we considered them very damaged. I mean, it was like not a pleasant way to look at people but there you go and so we never made any kind of claims that we could do anything for them but they could you know take their story to the police or whatever we deemed you know was it it a criminal sort of thing was it something that perhaps an agency a government agency could get with Um, but we never did anything like that
1: never thought of that Okay, and that could be something that's more modern day because of social media, because of the internet, and and the mm-hmm. visibility that they have. Mm-hmm. So, did you have any family in Scientology? I don't remember no. if they were ever in at one point or another. No. Um,
0: you know, there's so many threads, so many stories that come from an experience like this. One, one is definitely my family. Um, None of my family approved of me being in psychology, but they were all very careful. And partly that is because I had a first cousin on um, my father's side of family, and she had become, her and I hold the record in the family, being the two that were involved in cults. Um, make fun we, we make fun of it at family weddings now. Um, <laughs> but she had become involved in a cult, oh my gosh, it must have been the late 70s, early 80s. Here in New Zealand a New Zealand cult called Centrepoint, and um, so my dad, it was his sister. My dad had an awareness of, you know, you've got to realise in the 80s there's no internet, and we were in small town New Zealand, and there's no information people like my father took to get. It's just, you know, it's sort of like, what do you do? So dad, but dad did have some information or awareness. Because of what my cousin had been through, and what the family there had gone through, and you know, the, Dad didn't want to lose me completely, and so any conversations I did have with my family about my involvement were very guarded on my part. And Dad, looking back, Dad was also very careful about what he said, um, and I think Dad had instructed Mum to say nothing.
1: Mm. He was
0: Dad was really he was going to lose me completely. Um, and, rightfully so,
1: and, rightfully so. and rightfully
0: so. Absolutely. He read, it, he read it well. He read it well, um, looking back. Um, you know, so that means that I did have contact with him two or three times a year. Um, most days he used to write letters, and um, I still have some of those letters. It's kind of special. But um, mm. so... My relationship with my my family of origin became very controlled, really controlled. Yes, I did see them, but it was I was walled up, which is what you wouldn't believe, and they obviously think that because they knew me well, and it just anything real in those relationships completely dissolved, and. um very powerful thing happened to me once I did leave and I returned to my hometown I caught up with a girl I'd gone to school with and we've remained sort of in contact over the years and this one kind of choked me up but I, uh, I'm cool I'm cool okay. and she I came back to my hometown and you know I'm out and at that stage I I, I started not making much sense of what had happened and so forth and she said to me she said my God Kendra, oh, it's so good to see you and I said yeah thanks I'm a little kind of messed up here but you we' know, I'll get there and she said you know all those years you were in that thing for St. She, she said I couldn't reach you she said it was like there was something around you she said it was just so damn weird and she said I can't explain it but you just you looked sort of the same but you just weren't the same and she said I can't put my finger on what happened mm. and then she just looked at me right and she said i back you know and it was, just, was and it was just amazing right you know this woman had known me and she'd known me since I was about six and she'd known me all my life and then she'd seen this huge identity shift in me and the other thing she said in that conversation was she said I didn't know what to do so she said I figured I'd just stay here and keep loving you and one day you might return you know you the real you Not she's not talking about my my physical side she's talking about the, the real blender. Right. and uh, it was just yeah, and I got a few of that, a little bit of that when I came back to my hometown. Go, oh, welcome back. It's so good to have you back, you know. Um, that's pretty powerful Where you haven't realized. You've become this cold identity and you're so walled up and careful and um, removed. And then that such to
1: fall down and people welcome you back. That's pretty powerful, you know. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, I want to know, how did you get out? How did that, how did that occur? The... Getting out of Scientology.
0: Oh wow! How many hours have you been? Dying?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well, we'll start on the first hour. Um. <laughs> okay, I was married to uh, a true believing Scientologist and his name was David. I can say that because people, people, people say it. Um. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, not And anyway, he was—he'd been on staff for ten years, and um. When he lived, he started to really follow his engineering career. And that was all about making money to, to do more Scientology, particularly at Clag in Florida. Okay. Um, and so fast forward a few years after he left staff, and he was working for a big engineering company, and they wanted him up in China to train some Chinese engineers, basically, and work on some big projects. So we went to China. And... This is a huge. Um, it's such a big story. I mean, I've written about this, for so much, and it's still coming out of Basically, the change of culture and um, language. Like language is very important when you're trying to control people. Mm. And. The, the the language used in Scientology is mind controlling language. It's not just another foreign language, it's a very controlling language. So I go to China and I don't understand anybody and I don't really speak more than about four words Chinese initially and I'm alone a lot because David is travelling with his job and it just started unraveling on me. And I just started to question everything and I couldn't stop it and I was in so much distress because I think the, the term that would most people would understand I was, I was in a spiritual crisis and I mean I, I just literally ate it was just a mess and then I had an awakening oh yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> sort of like sounds crazy but I had this vision in uh, this moment of clarity and everything changed from that moment I knew I couldn't go back to Scientology and um, I was too scared to look on the internet uh, it was just all the phobias kicked in hard, um, I was terribly unwell around that time, I was completely traumatised and um, I then told David, I can't do Scientology anymore and that turned everything I've done, um, that's a huge story, uh, he treated me like the enemy, um, he's got no such, you know, like game Scientology, yeah, yeah, yeah. at every level. <laughs>
1: You know, um, that's a and, quick. That's a quick change, is it not? Like you, you, you're one minute say, hey, "Good to see you." Wait, what? Get out. Something like that.
0: In um, the moment that I, the certain things in life you never forget, you, you you frame them differently, and you process them differently. But the certain moments in life you never forget. And at that point, David and I, when I, I said to him, "I can no longer participate in Scientology." I remember saying it very quietly and very calmly because I knew what I was saying was, you know, potentially life-changing for him. And I was very quietly, very quiet about it. And he turned around, and I think at that point we have been married about 13 or 14 years, but this wasn't a new marriage. Um, And he turned around without blinking and said, well, that's that's it, then this marriage is over.
1: Not even a consideration.
0: No, that was it. Yeah, you know, it was so sad. He just turned around and said, "That's it, famous marriage And I'm like, I am just absolutely what? You know, I couldn't breathe. I could not breathe. Um, you know, he he was really my best friend, and I really believed in marriage, and all, you know, there was just commitment, and all, all those things were there. And I'm like, oh my god, I have to. You know, and it just, it put me in so much. Confusion because I couldn't stay in Scientology anymore, but I was going to lose everybody. And it was a huge, massive decision to keep moving forward and be true to my own heart and be true to, you know, saving myself uh, because, you know, I'd become very messed up by all of this. Um, and yeah, I just, it just, and it got worse before it got better. It got way worse because then started treating me like the enemy. And, That's terrible. You know, it's open system. And eventually, um,
1: yeah, it, it got wrong. Scientology really is the most important thing to some people. More than what, for any family member, any spouse, it, yeah. just, it breaks up families.
0: Yeah, it it, it, is, it is fanaticism. You know, the cause is greater than any relationship. Any, anything, you know? Um, it's, you know, and I was that. I was that where I would, you know, my parents became less important to me, my own siblings, it, 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 all the relationships that have mattered to me, you know, your old school friends, relationships that mean something, all in secondary.
1: You weren't truly disconnected from your family, but you were sort of figuratively, you were sort of symbolically disconnected from your family.
0: Yes, yeah, I would I would have gotten them as fast as you can, you know, pick up a car. If if they had threatened or, um, you know, tried to, um, get me out of Scientol I would have gotten like a yeah, just like that. I know that. I, I you know, I'd always it had always been an option. If mum and dad pick up noise about me being in Scientology, I know what I'm choosing. It's not it's not
1: hard. That's interesting because you know you would have dropped your family, but then now you're faced with the 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 horror of you're going to lose your marriage, of it the same way that your family would have lost you. It's it's, it's an interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah, and um, I wasn't unaware of that at the time. Um, that who I had become, and. What I had done and been willing to do, and that whole sort of cult identity, if you like, um, I had to face it to now pay the price, um, and it was a price. Um, yeah, you know, I, I when I left, and eventually, um, I mean, it's a big story about what happened in the two years after I sort of stay and I stayed in the marriage but I wasn't in the marriage it was crazy I was broken and it's very grand well and I didn't get medical help because he wouldn't get it It was just crazy and um I then became aware that I was paying the price that hadn't been who I had been all the years and um facing that you know facing what I had become and you know that the, the, the the people I had used and the lies I had said and, you know, even the spying and, you know, there was a price for living that. You know, the roads that you walk, there was a price. And you might think you're getting away with it, but you're not. And, um, so I had to face, you know, a lot of, like, deep in a, yeah, all right. This isn't pretty. Um, but, so, you know, I don't know, I feel a bit speechless.
1: <laughs> no, uh, no you're, you're going back through it again, and I'm sorry to put you through that.
0: No, that's no, fine. Honestly, I'm really robust about this.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you know, I have had a lot of um, wonderful people and have paid great um but there are some things I accept. I leave you speechless.
1: Some things, that's all there is, is, is speechless. Yeah. 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 Now um along the lines of uh we we talked about this software and I know you, I don't I don't really want to want to spend a lot of time on this but uh I think it's important, you know, cuz Anne a few weeks ago on the show uh, talked about this. Um h- how long did it take you to be yourself again, do you think?
0: I it's definitely- comes away in layers. Um, you know, you sort of, just, you discover, I mean, I kept discovering things about like myself, but it was just, you know, the, the first time, it, there were so many firsts. The first time, I didn't wear perfume or scented products for 20 years. A year, shampoo, hand cream. Forget perfume as a, you know, scent. I didn't wear perfume. And, and so there were always firsts that I had to go through and I didn't even know they existed
1: wow. in the
0: first social party wearing Um, there's so many poignant moments that I went through um, how to interact with humans without <laughs> all this sort of filtering going on in my head all the time psychology language and psychology concepts But how long did it take you know I was just thinking this morning this Still, the odd thing I run into. Not definitely very often now, but I mean I'm out. It would be ten years this year. I think it probably took at least seven or eight years. And I have to say, in my defence, I have worked really hard. I have actually had therapy the whole way through. With, with you know, there might have been a 4 month break. Um, like I would pull back from that to let myself kind of get used to the world again. But I have worked really hard and I have read a lot and I have reflected a lot and I've done therapeutic, therapeutic journaling the whole way and um, I, I've worked really hard at recovery. At, at times, my foot has me to back off. Oh, you're so... <laughs> 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 um, yeah.
1: So you'd recommend
0: Absolutely.
1: therapy? Absolutely. Over auditing any day, I'm sure.
0: Oh, not even in the same bullpuck, I mean,
1: right.
0: trouble therapeutic relationship compared to auditing, it's like, what, nah, they, they, they don't even, the only thing they have in common is, is you sit in a room with somebody, that's it, I mean, this, you know, like i had a lot of auditing in psychology, a lot of their counsellors, because I was phobic about having psychological basis and I nearly died in the waiting room. I literally I had a heart attack. It was all very dramatic. Oh my gosh. And like, I go and I have therapy with this, like, trained therapist. And it's like, it just took me, I don't know, it probably took three or four months to actually really start relaxing and trusting myself. Because it was so difficult. So empowering. And, and you, 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 you're moving into yourself, you're not working with methods or systems or ideas. You're, you're moving into yourself and your own thoughts and your own emotional experiences and your own sense of spirituality pick a subject and it's all in your hands it's got nothing to do with anybody's ideas well that's so different to to completely different yeah. do I therapy? yeah I mean there's certain survivors around especially for a person who's been in that type of, control, sort of mind prison mental prison well. The things that I would, um, looking back, I mean, I was less the the therapist that worked there. Wow, you know, my journey is full of luck. But I think for a lot of people coming out of Scientology, it would be difficult to get a workable therapist because of what you're holding yourself. Um, Your trust isn't there. And you've got to build trust for a healthy working relationship, therapeutic relationship. And that that was hard. So yeah, yeah. I recommend therapy. Get someone that you can really trust and feel comfortable with, and weep and wail and be angry and express your joy. You've got to find someone you can truly trust. Now I brought
1: up I brought up Anne a little bit ago, um, and this is something we talked about off air was that you had in common with her, and that was uh, how it affected uh, your, with your father. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up, the only reason I bring it up is because it's important, I think, for anyone who uh, is thinking about signing up with Scientology, anyone who's just starting with Scientology that might hear this. Um, you said your father never got to meet you as you. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, think, I think it's one of my deep sadnesses.
1: Um, and it's all Scientology's fault. Well... I mean it, it is I mean but you know as I say it's completely but it, it is
0: yeah. I got into Scientology in 87 and um, in 2007 I had awakening in China and you know I not but my dad died in 1995 and um, so I'm sort of still mid Scientology
1: right.
0: and and um, dad and I had had a a difficult relationship all my life you know dad dad and I never quite kind of and for whatever reason right that's that's a whole other story but um, you know he was my father and he um, did the very best he could to raise up his myself and my siblings and um, you know there's a very practical side of me anybody that knows me will ask um, you know, I'm that woman who can, you know, change the tyres on the car and do all these, you know, fuses, and I'm really, really practical. That's sad. Dad raised me to be ultra-practical. Hmm. And, I, you know, if I can't fix up something around the house, I'll at least give it a go. And that's my father. He was, he was an awesome teacher like that. And um, sends a lot of dad in me and, you know... So, they died in 1995, and I just blithely carry on in my little uh, you know, little bubble of saving the world. And, and then when I left, um, in 2007, it all started crack And eventually, I returned to my hometown, and by that time, my mother was quite lady. I, I actually dropped out of contact with her. It just, it, it really got rough. So I come back to my hometown, and in 2011, I reconnected with mum. And by that said, she was pretty elderly, and um, she died three years later. I had, I about two and a half years later, I had about two and a half years to get to know my mother, and then she she passed away.
1: Um, I'm sorry to hear that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, it, but it was I'm very, very grateful for that short time we did have because sure. we, we built a relationship which was really cool. But anyway, I was able to talk to her um, because Dad had never met the real you know, I was always cult influence Glenda and um, when I left, I realized I'd grief for my father's death and, you know, so here we are <clears throat> There's nothing like delayed grief whoa mm. I mean, that, you know, you know, when dad died I had a little week, I went to the funeral and I just got back home with life, you know, the this ontology influenced life so, you know, here I am I think he's got a living news after he died or told this I started go, oh my God, my father's dead. Oh, and I started reading things like, you know, about the grief process. I started reading other schools of thoughts. You know, like, what's this grief process people talk about? So I go and read up on it. And I realized, oh my gosh, I've never really grieved for my father dying, And he was my father. So I went through this intense life of grief.
1: Now that, then, that's a Scientology thing, right? You're not supposed to grieve.
0: No, grief, you know, like, that's um, not cool that's not that's not very oh that's tone scuttle thing That's sound does
1: down that cool. right No, dance of a low tone
0: yeah and it's, 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 it's exhibiting far too much human emotion you don't yeah. have to exhibit too much human emotion because that will get in the way of you being an effective Scientologist and produced and well and all this layered nonsense so yeah you don't. You, you, you need to have a little appropriate cry but don't cry too long and just get on with it so it of, you know the relationship between a, a child and their fibre you know that's the kind of more important relationship it's unbelievable um, so then I, I had to agree to make talk and I'm, I was really angry about it because I had been so shut up emotionally because of the Scientology stuff I thought of, I don't know a year or so and I reconnected with my mum and we started to get to know each other and asked her, you know, did dad approach me sleeping and I told you, she just said, no, no and her and I were able to talk about that and I asked mum, you know, do you think dad would have liked me, you know I've changed a lot since I left, you know and she told me, she said, your dad would have been really proud of the and because it was really hard to leave, it's really hard to leave all the phobias and everything you lose. And um, I'm very grateful that I had that time
1: with my mother. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, uh, I'm I'm proud and honored I get to know the real Glenda. And that's, that's the only Glenda I know. Thank you. Uh, no no problem. Um, uh, what I'm gonna do here, what I usually do um, at the end of all my interviews, I do something called Ten Questions. It's a little bit of fun, just you know crazy questions and then if the first thing comes to mind um, is, is there anything else you wanted to add to your, to your experience anything else that maybe might be important to tell that, that we didn't tell
0: I think the only thought I do is that um, I became very aware very quickly that it's a very isolating experience coming out of a very controlling group, and it's not something that Many people really understand, and certainly um, that, that has been a really difficult problem. And I think that people like yourself and many others, thankfully, are trying to raise awareness and, um, and share these stories. And, you know, they're real people, we're real people. Um,
1: damn, damn smart people.
0: Yeah, and caring people and, um, you know, all the former psychologists that I'm, I'm close with in my, in my life, they're such caring people, you know, they're, they're, they're the salt of the earth kind of people and, you know, these controlling, particularly for me, that's well, what I know, Scientology, but controlling groups that change the identity and change people um, as, as a community or as a society, in the fanatical way that it's become. Um, fanaticism is an issue in our world, and Scientology is fanatical. Scientologists are fanatical. You know, what is that glassy look in their eyes? It's fanaticism. What, well, why are they so weird and hard to talk to? Um, they have got ultra-focused on that cause, and we can laugh about that, and we can um, make personal comments about those people, and so forth. But when people like myself and many, many others, yeah, um, are coming out into the world, it's, you know, we're trying to find our voice and our confidence and make sense of it all, what happened to me, um, it's, it's really wonderful to, to find people that are willing to stop and listen and I think ultimately for me that this doesn't happen to people behind me. I'm, I'm absolutely fierce about young people, children, mm-hmm. teenagers Because, kids. Um, like if I ever saw anybody I know getting their scientology, I would just go at right. <laughs> We really right. um, immunisation, I guess, is the word. To immunise the more we talk about this and and you know, open, honest dialogue about it, the more immunisation we can bring to the world. But you know, we we close those doors down so the kids in my life and the kids in your life don't get involved in this sort
1: of thing. Yeah, and that, exactly.
0: That really, matters, that really
1: matters to me. Yeah, I think that's 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 the most important. I I'm really very concerned about the young people, and I know there's an increase. It's actually an increase of what they're doing with young people. Baby auditing. Um, uh, I've heard of young people going through the purification. It's insane, and uh, and uh, I don't want to see that happen anymore. Yeah. All right. That,
0: that, I feel pretty strongly about that
1: episode, so. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I could listen to you all day. <laughs> um, I
0: could <I>, talk all day. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're good at it. You're good at it. Maybe I'll have you on again. Um, absolutely enjoyed this. So let's go ahead and do ten questions with Glenda Smith. All right, Glenda, you ready? Yep. All right. Question number one. You're from New Zealand, right? Mhm.
0: Yep.
1: All right. What's the best part of New Zealand? Why should I or anyone else visit New Zealand? Good food. Good food? Yeah. What's a real good New Zealand dish?
0: Fish
1: and chips. Oh, I can get that anywhere, but it's different in New Zealand?
0: Absolutely it is.
1: Okay, i got to get New Zealand fish and chips. I got you. Okay. Absolutely. All right, maybe someday. Maybe someday. All right, number two. All right, first, I got I to gotta ask you first before this. Have you seen miscavige in person? No. Okay, but you you know about... Alright, let's see if you. What do you believe? True or false? Can David Miscavige walk under a table without bumping his head? True. Okay, <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> Number three. Um, you don't have to say anything nice, but can you say anything nice or a good thing about CCHR?
0: I make some nice people.
1: But that's about it. The people, not the. not Nothing about the actual group. The actual. There's nothing about the, the uh, organization
0: no but no. they have to be the
1: people have to be the people okay well you were a good person that was there
0: thank you uh,
1: number four have you been to the US no ah is there anywhere in the US you'd like to visit
0: ah uh, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd really like to, you know so many people there that I would like to come to visit oh right,
1: you're the top states yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, the, the grand tour or something.
1: Maybe. The tour of the of the country. All right. Number five. Now I've i <laughs> this is kind of off kilter a little bit, kind of off this, kind of off to the side thing. I I know I know you said uh, in different places. I've seen you say that uh, sometimes you unwind by doing a little dancing around the house. Uh,
0: That's true.
1: Huh? That's true. That's true. How is your dancing?
0: That's awful. <laughs> You're just
1: having fun. You're just having fun. Okay.
0: I do not
1: Dance like no one's watching because no one is. All right, that's good. Number six. All right, this is a tr- this is a tricky one, but I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty easy. Number six, true or false? The best place to find the truth is from the source. Well, that's the thing, right? If if only place you ever get the, the, your information from is from the source, they can tell you whatever they want to.
0: Yeah, but you know when it's kind of funny, right? Because when you say source, all I can think of is like chili
1: sauce. And chili sauce. Not sauce source. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know that
0: that what, what happens when you break your mind, right? Everything just what. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, so false, right? Yeah, I knew I knew it was false. Uh, Do you like comedy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. What's your favorite comedy?
0: Um, It's actually probably New Zealand.
1: um, Oh, original programming?
0: Yeah, yeah, the Flight of the Concord. um, I
1: heard of that. I, I need to check that out. I've never watched it, but I know a lot of people who are fans of Flight of the Concord.
0: It's so funny.
1: I'll try it. I'll check it out. Yeah, Flight of the Concord. When you drink, do you like to drink wine, or do you like the hard stuff?
0: Um, I, I really drink. Not not for any other reason than just I don't know, I just don't. But if I do, I enjoy I live in a wine growing region, so yeah, I like a little bit of wine.
1: Good, good. And number ten. Give me a number between one and ten. A number between one and ten. Seven. I'm just gonna say you're right. Good job. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, Glenda, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. We talked, we did a pre-interview and talked a little bit, and I could talk to you more, and, and I think we probably will. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think uh, I think you're going to be a valuable voice out there uh, to be heard on this uh, show and for the uh, for the ex community. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and you you know, a real pleasure. Thank you. No problem. You take care. I so that was Glenda Smith. Uh, I could talk to her all day. Uh, of course, not a pleasure hearing what happened to her, but a pleasure talking to Glenda because she is a, a true joy. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to end the show a little bit differently today. Um, remember, uh, copy the link into the browser for the IRS petition, sign it, put your email address. Don't make it public if you don't want to. Go to your email, click confirm email. You signed the petition and you've contributed. Um So I'll be back. I don't know if it's two or four weeks for this show. We'll be back. It's not going anywhere. And, uh, during the course of talking to and getting to know people uh, in and around the world of Scientology, I've, uh, I've accumulated a lot of information and a lot of experiences. And, you know, it has a profound effect on you when you start to see these things and start to learn these things, uh, for the legitimate, uh, items that they are. And, uh, Way back when, when I was a very young man, or maybe just getting into manhood and as a child, a teenager, I uh, I was very sensitive, and I I, I would write a little bit of poetry. Uh, But I haven't written in like over thirty years, Uh, well, close to thirty years. And I uh, and uh, I was a sensitive kid, you know. And sometimes those sensitive ideas come back to you uh, over time when you when you're dealing with stuff. And uh, sometimes they're more detrimental than others, but sometimes they work out for something. Uh, So I wrote a little something that I put out on the internet, uh, on social media. A lot of you have seen. uh, I don't know if everybody's seen it or heard it. Uh, So uh, that is how I'm going to take the show out today. Uh, Normally, I would not share this kind of thing so publicly or so openly. uh, But at this age and this point in my life, I don't really give a shit. Um, If I feel strongly about something, I feel strongly about something. So... Uh, basically by the end of it, it it works like a mission statement for this podcast anyway and uh, and that's how we're going to end it so uh, until I see you guys again um, stay connected and that about sums it up sheltered life mental chains intergalactic goals teenage wives false games and stained children's souls broken homes unhealed bones innocence lost before it's found. Voice the drones, screwed up tones, compassion not anywhere around. Where's the love? Where's the heart? Why am I not quite clear on this part? Learn fake words, get a loan, pay it as you can. Fine efforts, you were just a clone. A shadow of a man. What are your crimes? What did you do? Did you know it was wrong? How many times was it covered for you? The statutes can be pretty long. Are you in trouble while you're hurt, an innocent victim? You're in the bubble, they are certain, you must have pulled it in. There's no ration, no compassion, no regard for human life. No interaction, nor act of passion to soothe that kind of strife. Outside folks nod and move along, look the other way. No real interest in righting your wrongs, no interest in having to say. But I see you, in all your beauty, in all your pain. I see the scars and ugliness and even all your flaws, yet I return again and again and again, and still I always look on in awe. I see you, and it's the last thing I do, the world will see you too.